When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Forever. Dog. I used to think that this was my town. What a stupid thing to think. I hear you biting off a brain now. I myself am on the brain. I used to want to be a real man. I don't know what that even means. Now I just want you in my arms again. And we can search each other's dreams. What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? This is Three Swings. It's a podcast about baseball and other things. And I am the host of this here podcast. Rhea Butcher, and uh, if you notice, my voice is a little bit lower than it used to be, and I'm kind of leaning into it. Um, shout out to everybody that's uh, paid attention, noticed, and appreciated it. I love you, um, even if, even if, and especially if you haven't said anything. Um, I appreciate having like a safe place and friends um, and a community to just be myself and uh, be even more myself as the days and the months and the years go on. So I'm very, very grateful to all of you for listening. My batteries are super low on my Zoom, so I'm going to keep this really short. Um, I'm going to keep this really quick and efficient. You know, we're going to have a rubber match in terms of this podcast. Um, I just want to say there is so much, and I don't want to say that in like a very dismissive way, but um, in the time that the last episode came out and then this episode came out, like um, there has just been so many things and I, I, you know, the Derek Chauvin was, uh, uh, called, call, called the verdict was guilty. I don't even know what the words are for these things anymore. Um, and then a child was, uh, executed by police with, within moments of that verdict coming down. Um, so I, I just offer that, um, while we can find, obviously the positive in these things i encourage you to dream bigger than any one uh person any one verdict any one possibility um because what i've been really receiving lately and been very open to is that um that is the patriarchy that is the the patriarchy is not as small as men (laughs) you know like uh and i'm saying this for the men who are listening too because uh, I, I know you and I see you. I know that you listen and I appreciate you. Um, the patriarchy is bigger than any one man. That is why it sticks around. And you can't just slap women or non-men or whatever you want to say into that structure and expect it to change. 
we have to dream bigger than that. And um, that type of thinking, hierarchical thinking, authoritarian thinking, it's all patriarchal, capitalist, uh, heteronormative, um, white supremacist thinking. And I just encourage you to see where you can think away from that. Be creative and positive. And I don't mean positive in like, oh, I'm positive. I, I mean, literally outward instead of inward or critical or negative or removing. Like, how can we how can we fill that space? Like, if if we truly believe in abolishing the police, what do we fill it with? Not just abolishing the police and stopping there. What does that mean to you? What could that mean to you? Um, and really, and really welcome that thinking because I, I, it will, it is more sustainable than the joy of one verdict, and it will change your life. I'm, I, I'm telling you, it has changed mine to simply contemplate these things on a regular basis. Um, within myself, it changes my experience of the world and of other people and my relationship to it. So, um, I encourage you to do that. I ap apply this to everything. What, what would we have if we were not fighting these trans laws? What would we have and do it instead of just lamenting, not having it, do it. How can you create that community in your own life? Even if it is simply within yourself, that's it. How can we do that? What can we do? How can we create community, harmony, co-living? How can we do it? Am I turning into a human version of the Coexist bumper sticker? You bet your ass. <laughs> I am. I've been listening to this uh, audio book by Robin Wall Kimmerer. It's called Braiding Sweetgrass. It is absolutely changing my life. Um, I find it to be, it, it is absolutely what I needed to hear when I needed to hear it. And I'm so grateful to that book. Um, I highly recommend it and I highly recommend listening to it so you can listen to the author's inflection and intention behind her words. And she is uh, uh, such a calming and soothing presence. It is literally like being with plants. Um, so I'll just leave that recommendation there. Um, and so let's get into some baseball because I'm going to keep this nice and quick so the battery doesn't die and I don't have to get into not having saved recordings. Um, I went to a baseball game last night. Uh, you know, it's, it's a shell of its former self. It also has its benefits with less people being there. Um, I had a great time with my friends. I'm not in any rush to get back. I'll put it that way. Uh, they happen to now have people sort of guarding the bathrooms, I guess maybe to keep the numbers down, but I'll tell you, I'm probably not going to use the bathroom at Dodger stadium again. So that is pretty disheartening for me because uh, I'm kind of at a place in my transition where I don't actually have a safe bathroom to really go into. And I was only with cis men last night and I am not comfortable going into the men's restroom yet. I just have never done it. And um, it's like unreasonably frightening to me at this point. I'm sure that will change. Um, but I didn't have any cis women to go with me into the women's restroom to help to be a buddy. So I just drank water and stopped drinking water before I went to the game and I did not drink anything when I was there. And then I just basically like dehydrated myself so that I couldn't, didn't have to go to the bathroom. And so I don't share that as a pity party. I just share that as a, like, this is actually the reality of what, of, of what these laws of what this thinking of what this pervasiveness 
uh, can do. And so any amount of care and love that you can put into the world, literally just thinking it helps. So into baseball, Oakland A's 13 game win streak, which has since been snapped since we wrote these notes, the Orioles, the Orioles, who thought it was going to be the Orioles to take them down? After a sluggish 1-7 start to the season, the Oakland A's reeled off 13 consecutive wins over the last two and a half weeks to zoom into first place in the AL West. Oakland streak ended on Sunday with an 8-1 loss to the Baltimore Orioles. I didn't read the notes before I started talking. <laughs> the A's were 1-7 and before the streak started, and they lost their first six games of the season by a total run differential of 50-13. to This is nothing new for the A's. If anything, it has become a tradition. The 2001 A's started 8-17 and 17 before winning 102 games to qualify for the playoffs. Uh, the next year, Oakland went 20-25 and 25 before winning 103 games. And the 2006 and 2012 teams were both under 500 after 50 games before battling back to win the AL West. They truly are the underdoggiest of doggies of under. That makes sense, right? Uh, 13 games is the third longest winning streak in Oakland A's history. Oakland previously had the American League record for consecutive wins when they won 20 in a row during the famous 2002 Moneyball season. Cleveland broke that mark with 22 wins in a row in 2017, which had disastrous effects on Cleveland's postseason hopes that year. During the streak, the A's relied on their typical Moneyball formula of racking up home runs and walks while not sweating strikeouts. Despite trotting up a lineup whose biggest star, Matt Chapman, has yet to heat up, the A's rank second in the American League in both home runs with 25 and walks with 71 while ranking sixth in strikeouts. 170. Why doesn't this work for the Dodgers? <laughs> the A's are 9-0 and when they out-homer their opponents and just 1-7 and when they are out-homered. The result is MLB's sixth highest scoring offense featuring an underappreciated cast of characters. First baseman Matt Olson is slashing 316, 394, 684 with an AL best six homers and his 13.6 barrel rate ranks behind only Shohei Otani, Rafael Devers, and Ronald Acuna Jr., Second baseman Jed Lowry, who is 37, this young man is almost my age, accumulated just seven at-bats for the Mets over the last two seasons due to injuries. But he's enjoying a comeback season with the team he made his only all-star team with in 2018, boasting a career-high 916 on-base percentage. Left fielder Mark Canna, a 6'2", 32-year-old who's never swiped more than seven bags in a season, may not seem like the stereotypical leadoff hitter, but... He's drawn 14 walks with four hit by pitches, second in the both of those are second in AL, and is averaging nearly five pitches per plate appearance. He even has four stolen bases already, putting him well on pace to top his previous career high. And the A's pitching, on the other hand, has struggled. Their 417 team ERA is 25th in Major League Baseball. If the A's are to continue their winning ways, they'll need more quality starts from Frankie Montas and Jesus Luzardo, who both showed flashes of potential during the, the winning streak. Oakland is the first team in Major League history to forge an 11-game winning streak at any point of the season after starting 0-6. Can they become the first team since the 2011 race to qualify for the playoffs after losing their first six games? I say yes. You heard it here. Moving on. Madison Baumgartner, seven-inning no-hitter. This is from the Bleacher Report. Arizona Diamondbacks veteran Southpaw. Uh, <laughs> I said that really weird. Arizona Diamondbacks veteran Southpaw Madison Baumgartner held Atlanta hitless in a 7-0 victory on Sunday, but 
he will not be credited with a no-hitter. Why? Because as the second game of a doubleheader, it was a seven-inning, quote, control game, a change implemented by MLB and the MLB Players Association for the second straight season. According to the official rules on control games, the game has to extend to at least nine frames to be considered in the no-hitter or perfect game categories. In other words, it would have to go at least two extra innings. Baumgartner was upset with the ruling, telling reporters after the game, I didn't give up any hits today. I'm not in control of how many innings we're playing. On the other hand, there are countless examples of pitchers giving up no hitters in the eighth and ninth innings. And in this case, Baumgartner's pitch count had already climbed to 98 through seven innings, and he hadn't gone more than five innings in any of his previous four starts. What do I think should this have qualified as a no hitter? A hundred percent. I, we discussed this last night at the game and I understand that there are these intangibles that, yes, his pitch count was 98. Yes, it was only seven innings. Da-da-da-da-da. They've given up no hitters in the eighth and ninth innings. That was an opportunity that they had because it was a nine-inning game. You change the rules of the game to be only seven innings. That becomes your nine innings. I am perfectly fine with putting it in the rule books as a control game no hitter. Like, I think you can designate that. The game is already designated as a control game, so designate the no-hitter as a designated no-hitter. It, it makes complete sense to me. You can't just change these things around and then say, oh, sorry, no, you didn't get it. I also just want to point out that the MLB, the MLB Twitter tweeted out that he, he had a no-hitter. So you cannot have it both ways. You cannot use this as an a advertising piece for your product and then not give the person whose labor created the advertising the credit for it. That doesn't fly. And having watched Madison Baumgartner pitch for a lot of years, there's no doubt in my mind that he would not have potentially thrown a nine-inning no-hitter had that game gone nine innings. Had that been a nine-inning game, had he been given the opportunity to pitch two more innings, I would put money on him throwing a no-hitter. I would safely put money on that. So that's the way that I feel about it. And I don't even care. Like, this guy isn't, like, my favorite guy. But I don't think you can't just change the rules like this and then just wipe away a possibility because it's it's this thing. Like, that's just not I – cannot, I cannot believe it. I stand firmly on the side of Madison Baumgartner on this situation. Now, moving on to – the perhaps most exciting new new rivalry that we finally have in baseball. Dodgers versus Padres part two. Source is ESPN. Now, I say it's a new rivalry because for the first time in my lifetime, the Padres are competitive. And I say no shade to that. I am excited. I love to watch the Padres play. I have tons of Padres on my fantasy team, which is also a problem, <laughs> but I'm excited about it. Like this is, this is exciting. I'm stoked about it. Like I love it. I love it. I love it. It's great. What a difference a week makes after the Dodgers took two or three games from the Padres last week during their highly anticipated first series of the year. The Padres traveled to LA this week and took three of four games from the Dodgers, including a dramatic eight to seven win in 11 innings on Sunday which is why the game I went to on Monday was super boring because they were incredibly tired that saw them come back from a six-run deficit entering the seventh inning. 
The MVP of the series was Padres star shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr., who has been on an absolute tear since returning from a shoulder injury scare, hitting five home runs in this series alone, including two off of Clayton Kershaw and two off of Trevor Bauer. Uh, The Trevor Bauer home run, he covered up his eye after he did it. And as much as you don't want me to defend this guy, I am glad that Trevor Bauer was asked about this and he said, I'm fine with it. Not that he gets to be the judge and the jury of it, but it is very positive for somebody like him to say, I think it's good for the game and we shouldn't be hitting people just because we just because they celebrate. That's a positive, and I'm just going to point it out. Uh, <clears throat> Tatis has seven home runs in total for the season, and six of those have come against the Dodgers. Tatis's two homers off Kershaw on Friday night coincided with the 22nd anniversary of his father, Cardinals third base, uh, third baseman Fernando Tatis Sr., hitting two grand slams in the same inning. This was also against the Dodgers and in Dodger Stadium, something that we will probably never see again. The incredible, the, 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 the synchronicity of Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting two home runs off of the same pitcher in the same stadium on the same day, uh, the 22nd anniversary, which is also... Clayton Kershaw's number, he really had his number. Two grand slams on the 22nd, 422, four is two. Oh, I mean, this is too many things. It's just too many things. And if that wasn't storyline enough, Tatis then homered off Bauer twice the following day and trolled him pretty hard in the process. As I said, on his way to second base during his first home run, Tatis turned toward his dugout and covered one of his eyes, a response to Bauer noticeably pitching with one eye closed when he faced the Padres during spring training. He deserves it. And after crossing home plate on his second home run, Tatis imitated the signature Connor McGregor strut that Bauer often deploys after dominant innings. Payback time, Tatis said after the game. It's just fun. When you know you're facing a guy like that, he's doing his stuff, he's having fun on the mound, and when you get him, you get him, and you celebrate too. I like it, Bauer responded, as I said, jumping ahead of my lovely bench coach Brett's uh, wonderful notes. If you give up a homer, the guy should celebrate it. It's hard to hit in the big league, so I'm all for it. And I think it's important that the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field. I cannot argue with that. I only wish that he would apply the same feelings and morals and standards to random people on Twitter who are much, much tinier than him. I wish he could have as thick a skin with those people that have considerably less than him and Tatis uh, moving forward. And perhaps maybe he'll hear this, but he probably won't. The feud between Tatis and Bauer continued later that night on Twitter after a fan posted a video suggesting that Tatis had glanced at catcher Will Smith's signs before hitting the second home run. Bauer responded with, that's the type of stuff that we get you hit in other games, and then tweeted at Tatis, if you need to know... What pitch is coming that badly? Just ask daddy next time. You know I ain't scared, homie. To which Tatis responded, Tranquilo, tranquilo, hio. Calm down, son, with a photo of Tatis holding a baby Photoshop with Bauer's face. Is Dodgers-Padres the best rivalry in baseball right now? I mean, obviously I'm biased and it's right here, but I say absolutely yes. Also, just to say about this sign-stealing thing, this is, that if he indeed stole that sign, that type of sign-stealing is the type of sign stealing that's been going on for hundreds of years in baseball. And it does not compare to what the Astros were doing as an organization, because that was an organized concerted effort using technology to capture and relay 
all the signs and not just one <laughs> in the middle of an at-bat. Um, so to even try to do that is just a troll and absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, great. We're going to come in at about 20 minutes, and I love this. Uh, Willanza Studio, source the comeback. Minnesota Twins utility man Williams Studio, a.k.a. La Tortuga, has been responsible for some of the most incredible headlines from... Well, three Bs, I almost made it, uh, but I did not make it, and my batteries died, and I don't think I have any new ones, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. Williams' studio hit a home run that was about four feet tall coming into the the batter's box. He's just, he's a lot of fun. I didn't even know his nickname was La Tortuga, so, I mean, even more perfect. So, anyways, uh, it's been a first, great first month of baseball uh, really enjoying it. And, uh, I hope you are too. And, uh, I hope you have a great week. Um, put some love into the world, put some love into you. I love you. I miss you. I hope you're having a great time. And as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.